0: certain events that that happen in life that just sort of stick out in your mind and you when a, a certain event happens, you know you remember exactly where you were when it occurred. Uh, I can think of a few events like that for us. I remember uh, I remember exactly where I was when Elvis Presley died. Uh, We were in Los Angeles. We were eating breakfast, and we were getting ready to go to Disneyland. I mean, I still remember that. And there was a sign that was on the little IHOP where we were eating, and it says, we, we, we will miss you, Elvis. Um, I remember whenever Emily told me the the first time that she was you know she's going to have a baby when she came to tell me that it was during the the halftime of the Super Bowl game between the Dallas Cowboys and the Buffalo Bills and she told me in halftime and y'all I was in a coma for the second half I really I don't remember anything about the second half of that game and then of course the uh, the other one is I remember exactly where I was when 9 11 occurred. And I'm sure that many of you do as well, and you could probably share your story. I I remember I was downtown Columbia getting ready to go to a meeting when I was told that, that two planes had flown into the World Trade Center. And I was going to Kershaw County to speak to a group of men about starting Village Church. It was an absolutely surreal day, and that is a day that totally, I mean really, it totally transformed and changed so much about us as a country. As so many things became different. And I, I remember in the weeks following, there were a lot of people who came pouring into the church. Because they were looking for answers. And and they, they began to understand, and many of us began to understand, that the things that, that we value, the things that we look forward to, that they're fragile. And so the question is, where, were, where was God in all of this? You know, what was going on? Why did this happen? And I just want to be real honest with you all. I'm just going to stand up here and tell you all, when I look back at that day, and I look back at days like that and some struggles that we have in life, you know what, I don't really have a good answer for you. I don't know why it happened. The only thing I know is that it happened. And so the big question that I have, and I think a question a lot of people have is, is that in that event, there's no doubt that we were scarred as a nation. And there are people that, that firsthand, we have people in our church who were at ground zero on that very first day. Uh, there's a lady in our church, she handed me this. It was a uh, one of the firemen, when she was down there working with some of the people who were who were injured, gave her this shirt to give to her daughter. And so there's some people that had some very close connections with what took place on that day. Now, why it happened, all those things, I don't know. I do know that we're scarred. And so the question is, can we ever be healed again? You know, can we ever, in, you know, not, just, not just as a nation, but in our, in our families, in our communities, is there hope for us? Can we move beyond this? Can we move beyond the scars? Can we recover? And uh, hopefully today, as we look at our scripture, you're going to find a very positive answer. And so if you have your Bible, we're just going to look in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Now some of you don't think it's 2 Corinthians, because they sound real close. But 2 Chronicles is in the Old Testament. And if you want to look it up, you can go to the very front of your Bible, turn right a little bit, and you're going to run into 2 Chronicles. But I'm going to give you a little background information about what was going on here. Uh, what was taking place here is Israel was getting ready to dedicate their very first temple. And for years, they had been worshiping in a temporary structure, a place where you know, they would gather, they had to set it up, tear it down all the time. And they finally built the very first permanent structure. It was an exciting day in the nation of Israel. Uh, as a matter of fact, in verse number 1 of chapter 7 in Second Chronicles, it said, When Solomon finished praying, dedicating the temple, it says, Fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. God's presence came to dwell among his people. It was an incredible day. It was a spiritually significant moment for the people of Israel. And as I thought about the excitement they had, I was trying to think, you know, how could we compare anything like that with where we are today? And I just thought about our church you know, for seven years, our church met in schools. A lot of you know that. You were, you're were you in the schools. You would come in. We'd, every Sunday, we'd pull in a trailer, and we'd unload the trailer, set up for church. Terry, remember that? It was a great joy, wasn't it? And so we just set that sucker up, and it was fine. Then right after it was over, we got to tear it all down and just do it again week after week for seven years. Well, that's how the Israelites worked, except if it was longer for them, there was more people. But there came that day when they built a, a, a permanent structure, and I remember well we we moved into this building two years ago now, for those of you who are for those of you who are here, you remember how exciting that was I was that was so exciting i didn 't know what to do because we weren 't setting up anymore and so I was I mean I was walking around you know looking for something to do, and the only thing we had to do was turn light switches I mean it was incredible and so there 's this great excitement that we had well in a sense, this is the kind of excitement that the people of Israel had. they had their own place, but God reminded them that there was, an, there was always a stipulation that came with him blessing his people. He said, I'll bless you if you live within my guidelines. But if you step outside of my guidelines, and the way that you live, God said, you are stepping out of the blessings of God. And you're going to be on your own. He said, if you're obedient, then I bless. If you're disobedient, then you move beyond my hand. As a matter of fact, in Deuteronomy 11:17, it says, Then the Lord's anger will burn against you, and He'll shut the heavens so that it will not rain, and the ground will yield no produce, and you will soon perish from the good land the Lord is giving you. And as I said earlier, when we look back ten years ago and we see what happened, you know, so many people, are they want answers. God, what's going on? And, and again, just being honest, I, I don't have answers for you today. Why that day occurred, we come up with a lot of theories. I can make some assumptions and some guesses. But as far as some definites, don't have any definites for you. But here's what I do know. A couple things. One, I do know that God blesses obedience. And that when we're not obedient, then we step outside the blessings of God. The other thing I know is is that God loves us, and God cares for us, and God wants to see restoration take place in our lives. So can we ever find healing? Can our homes, our relationships, our marriages, our community, our nation, can we ever, so to speak, rise from the ashes again? And I have no doubt that the answer is yes. But for that to happen, there's some things that we we need to understand as we look into our Scripture. And the first thing that we need to understand, if we're going to see healing, if we're going to see us rise from the ashes, the very first thing to understand is the responsibility. The responsibility for healing is on God's people, which I find very interesting. The responsibility for healing is on God's people. In verse 13, it says, "...when I shut the heavens so that there's no rain, or command locusts to devour the land, or send a plague among my people..." If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Our Lord starts off by telling us what happens whenever we step outside the leadership of God. When we're disobedient to Him. He says, I'm going to shut up the heavens. It's not going to rain. Now, Israel was an agrarian society. And they understood if it doesn't rain, there's not going to be any crops. And if there's not any crops, it means if there's no cash. If there's no cash, it's going to be very difficult to survive. Now, I look at where they were at this point. God says, if you, if you move outside of my leadership, you miss my blessings. I look at them, and then I look at where we are today as a nation. Guys, there's no doubt in my mind, the locusts are devouring us. I look at our economic situation. We, know, we all know about what a month or two ago we lost our AAA credit rating as a nation for the first time in our history. The very next day on the stock market, over a trillion dollars was lost. Now, in our text, God is describing a nation that is in ashes. And I look at our nation today, and I see that in so many ways we are a nation that is in ashes. And I believe some of the reason why is because we have chosen to step outside of the leadership of God. Therefore, we miss His blessing. Now, I know it's real, it's real easy for preachers, you know, and me included. You know, on the 4th of July, we like to have these sermons. And we stand up here, and we start, you know, man, it's just easy to rant and rave. And I get, I get, you know, I'm like anybody else, I just get irritated and I get frustrated. And so sometimes I can let that just sort of spill over to what I'm saying up here. And I'll sit there and talk, and like many other people, I'll say, man, if our, you know, if our uh, politicians would just do a better job. You know, if they, would, if they would pass laws that were more moral, if they would end abortion, if, if the media would quit being so perverted, then God would bless our nation again. And we can say all those things, but it's interesting to me when I look at our text today, yeah, we're really good. and I, Man, I can be really good at blaming everything on other people. But then I look at verse number 14. And in verse 14, this is what God says. He says, if my people who were called by my name. Now I want you to notice there, it does not say if the people. It says if... My people. You see, if our nation is going to change, if the landscape of our, of, of our homes and our relationships are going to become different, it starts with God's people. You, know, you look through all throughout Scripture and you'll see that there are nations who are revived and renewed when God's people begin to place their focus back upon Him. It wasn't the other people, it was God's people. What does that mean for us? Village church means us. If we're going to see healing. It starts with us. You know, this verse says to me, it's time for me to quit griping and looking at our world and complain about what our world's not doing and instead begin to look at myself and say, what am I doing? You know, that goes for, if you're a follower of God, that goes for you too. Not what is the world not doing, what are you doing? I enjoy golf. Um, I like to play it. I'm not any good at it, but one of my favorite golfers is Phil Mickelson, but he drives me insane. And he's a great player. If you follow Phil Mickelson, you probably know what I'm talking about. He's a guy who he takes all these risks. It makes him kind of exciting, but he blows a lot of tournaments because he takes all these risks. And I will sit there and I'll start talking to the television. And you know, that's how you know you're getting older. When you start having conversations with the TV, I'm like, come on, Phil. You know, like I, like I know him, and I'm sitting there like, and like he can hear me. And I'm like, what are you doing? You need to just punch out there. And I start having all these directions for him. I'm coaching him. I'm complaining about what he's doing. But as I think about it, I don't ever do any of the stuff that I start telling him to do. You know, I don't practice. Um, I never managed my game. If you ever played golf with me, I go, I whack the ball around. And I'm excited. If it goes in the air, it's a success. Man, I crushed that one. Yeah, well, it was way out into that neighborhood. I mean, I don't care. Did you see it was in the air? And so I, I sit there and gripe and complain about Phil Mickelson. But if he came to watch me play, you know what he'd say? He's like, man, you're a hypocrite. I mean, you're sitting here telling me all the stuff that I'm supposed to be doing, but you don't even do it yourself. So you just simply need to be quiet. Now, Christians, for far too many of us, we, many of us, we've spent so much of our time griping about the condition of our nation and what we need to do when we're not even willing to do it ourselves. And if we're going to see change and we're going to see healing, God says it begins with us. You say, "Okay, then what's something practical? What what do I do?" Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven through forty. It says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it love the Lord your God, or love your neighbor as yourself. And it says, And all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now, how do we love God? By valuing what he says, by living according to his leadership, not ours. Now, if you're like me, it makes you nervous to think that I'm going to allow somebody else to tell me what to do. And it makes me nervous and probably some of you nervous because you think, well, if I let them be in control of me, what if they don't know what they're doing? We're talking about God here. And Isaiah 55, 8, 9 should give us some comfort in what it says about God. It says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Uh, simply put, God knows what He's doing. Therefore, we can follow Him. You know, when it comes to, for example, premarital sex, God's way, not my way. Where I say, I want to do this because it would be pleasing to me. Uh, whenever it comes to serving other people, where I step back and say, you know what, not, not, not my way, which is I want to serve whoever it is that I choose to serve, they've been good to me or not, but God's way, where God tells me to be selfless. When it comes to faithfulness and worshiping God with a community of believers, God's way. You know, not my way, where I say, well, I'm going to do this whenever it's convenient for me. Now, if our nation is going to see healing and we're going to rise from the ashes, guess there are some things we have to understand. And first of all, the responsibility begins with God's people. It's on us. And the second thing I want us to see or to understand for us to rise from the ashes is that repentance is required. Now look with me in verse number 14. It says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and will turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Almost every person I know is going to say that they believe that God is a loving God. Uh, and if you have that viewpoint, I want you to know that you have a scriptural viewpoint. That, that comes from the Bible. Uh, just a little test here. John 3.16 says, for God so loved, what? In the world. First uh, John 4.8 says, God is he's love. There is no doubt that our God is a God of love. It's His character. That's what the Bible says. But unfortunately, what a lot of us do is we, we sort of take that, we take advantage of that. And we say, because God is love, that means I can, I can do whatever I want because God loves me. God does love you. Does that doesn't mean you can do what you want? And sometimes, so I can choose to live as I want, and God loves me. Therefore, He's just going to slough it off. It's not going to be that He's going to say, "Well, you know, I know that that He's living contrary to how I've dictated that He live." But you know what? I love Him, and His boys are going to be boys. That's the way it's going to be. Let's let me tell you something. God doesn't operate that way. God is not just a loving God. He is a just God, and He's going to hold us accountable his people accountable for the way they live. Hebrews 4:13 says nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. You know what that means? It means God cares about our actions. And I actually think that's kind of neat. That that, that the way you live, God's paying attention to you. I think that's kind of neat because you think that he wouldn't. There's a lot of people, there's a lot of people in this world, like 7 billion I can't even. I have three kids. I can't even keep up with them. But God cares about our actions. But not as He. Not only does He just care about our actions. He's going to hold us accountable for actions. He says that He's going to uncover. Everything will be uncovered and laid bare before God. Speaking of us, that word uncovered it means to expose to be naked before God. You know when we make sometimes we make excuses. You know I know that I'm not doing right, but here's why. Yada yada yada. God God that what it says he uh, he lays those bare he uncovers them he's he's removing all those excuses that we've got and says I'm getting rid of all these excuses I'm just going to look at you I'm going to pay attention to how you live says that he's going to lay those things bare Before Himself. That means to seize by the neck or throat. It means that it's like God's grabbing hold of us to let us know that we cannot squirm away from God and make rationalizations about the way that we're living. He's going to hang on to us and hold us responsible for how we live. Why? Because God is just. And if we live outside of God's guidelines as believers, God disciplines. Now, I know for sometimes we can look at God and say, that's not right, that's not fair. If you've got kids, parents, and you don't have to answer here, but how many of you discipline your kids? Why would we think God would do anything different? You know, whenever I was uh, younger, I, I and it's true today, I, I don't like discipline a whole lot. And when I was younger, I'd do whatever I could to get out of it. Um, I, I remember in sp- specifically one time my cousin, my dad was watching my cousin and myself, and I was, my brother. My, my, my bro, one my um male cousin and so we just weren't getting along. We started fighting with each other and dad was fed up with it and uh, so dad I mean dad came in and he always liked to announce what he's gonna do. I'm gonna wear you out. Okay, so you know, I don't know why, you know, he likes to say stuff like that and I was like, Oh gosh. So he I'm number one, so he takes me out and he just you know, he wears me out. We can't find my cousin. The cousin has run off and hidden. What he'd done is he'd run to the kitchen and the dad finally found him, and he takes him, and he's getting ready to, you know, spank him. I used to say beat him, but that's not politically correct. So he's going to spank him, and so he brings him into the room, and uh, my cousin had gone and gotten a plate, and he put it in his backside. And the whole idea for him was it was going to lessen the blow. Now, not like that was hard to figure out. I mean, I was like, gosh, your behind looks strange today. Circle. And so uh, my dad sees that. You know my dad did? not you think my dad spanked him to the plate? Not, I mean, he could have, and I guess he would have broke that thing right in half. But dad pulled the plate out, and then he wore him out anyway. Now, guys, when he talks about God examining for who we are, laying everything bare before him, you know what God's going to do? When we make those excuses, God's going to remove those excuses, and he's going to discipline us because he's just. Now, you might say, well, how do I get out of that? How can I find restoration and favor before God again? Well, you look at verse number 14 again. It says it starts with us humbling ourselves before God. That word humble means that we it's, it's a picture of somebody getting on their knees and laying before a master saying, you do with me as you choose. Now you can say, man, that sounds like slavery and I don't want to do that. You get to make the choice. So it's different. You lay before God. Basically what you're doing, when you submit yourself before God, what we are doing is we're saying, God, you can do with me as you choose. And here's the important part. Because I trust you. And so we submit ourselves before God because we trust Him. It says we are to seek the face of God. Humble yourselves before God, then you seek God. That word seek means to desire, to long after. We should have a... A hunger for God that where we long to please God, and for those of us who you know, for us who are His followers, man, that should be natural, because we know He's our Creator. We want to follow Him, to seek after Him, and whenever we seek after Him, and our desires are going to change. It's going to change the way that we live. We're going to desire God. Y'all ever seen that? I'm sure you have. The show, The Biggest Loser. You watch that show and you see all these. They go through these work and they like work out like eight or nine hours a day. And you say, why do they do that? Why are they motivated to do that? They're motivated to do that because a lot of them have been told if you don't change, you're going to die. Others of them are motivated by saying we want to lose all this weight so that we can win a cash prize at the end. But whenever you have a desire, it can change the way that you live your life. You seek after God, it, it changes us. And then he tells us that we're to turn from our wicked ways. In other words, we're to get away from those things that are sinful, those things that we know are outside of God's guidelines. And a lot of us we try to we try to rationalize it and try to fit it into God's guidelines, but we we know they're really not. They really don't fit there. I mean, there needs to be recognition on our part that there are things in our lives that shouldn't be there, and we have to let go of those things if we're going to see healing i told you all this story before, but it's, it's really, I think it's a cool story. Or it's interesting about how how they trap monkeys in the jungle. And one thing that they do is they will get coconuts, and they'll hollow them out, and they'll put a shiny object in the bottom and anchor it to the ground. And uh, monkeys, when they come along, and then they'll put them in an area where the monkeys are, they love shiny objects. And I, I, I remember reading this story, and I was thinking, man, I might be a monkey. Because I like shiny objects too. If I see a shiny object, you know, I'm just like, I just start flying I, I lose total focus. Well, these monkeys, they'll see a shiny object and a coconut, and they'll reach down there and they'll try to grab and take that shiny object. But because it's anchored to the ground, they can't get it out. And not only that, they can't, they can't get their hand out as long as they have a fist. You know what they have to do in order to gain freedom? They'll let go. And when they let go, they can get their hand out. Now, what's interesting about those monkeys is they want that object so bad, they will not let go. They'll sit there and hang on to it and pull and pull. Even when the trapper's coming to get them, they sit there and they'll scream at the trapper, and they'll hang on to that object, and they're stuck. And the trapper will come, grab that monkey, and chunk him in a cage. Now, guys, that right there in a coconut shell (laughs) is where so many of us are today. We know what to do in order to have freedom. We know how God desires for us to live our lives, but we look at that shiny object, that sin, those things, and we say, If I do this, it pleases me, and we won't let go. And we hang on and we end up being enslaved by it. But God says you let go of those things that you know shouldn't be there, and He says, I'll give you freedom. I'll give you life. First John 1.9 says if we confess our sins, says he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now can our, can our nation, can our homes, can our families, can we, see, can, can we see healing? Can we rise from the ashes again? And the answer is yes, but there's some things we have to understand. And the first thing is that the responsibility is on God's people. Second thing is that repentance is required. There's some things that some of us need to recognize that in our lives that shouldn't be there. We've got to let go of them and turn away from it. The last thing that I want you to see for us to be able to understand that we can rise from the ashes is that restoration is possible. And this is the the good news. Restoration is possible. In verse 14 it says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways... This is what God says. He says, then I will hear from heaven. He says, and then I will forgive their sin. And then I will heal their land. You know, it's very easy for for believers, for people in the church to look at our world and be very cynical. And we can look and we can watch television and we can watch movies and we can see how people live and say, man, we are so immoral now, but we've come so far in the last 20 years, there's no way we can recover. It is too far gone. Don't get that cynical. Because if we do, guys, we are underestimating the power of what God can do. God says, if our focus is put back on Him, He says, not only can I, but I will Heal your land. Isn't that neat. We can never get so far away from God that we never have an opportunity to be touched by God again. In Second Corinthians five seventeen, it says, if any man it says, be in Christ. He is a new creation. It says, The old has gone, behold, the new has come. Now part of the American persona is that you know we're gonna pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. When we got a problem, we're going to fix it ourselves. In a lot of ways, that's a very, that's a very, those are good attributes. But where we get in trouble is when we do it to the exclusion of the leadership of God. And we ignore our Creator and say, I can do everything all by myself. And let me share with you where in many areas of life that's gotten us. We have, we have struggles in our marriages. We say, I'm going to fix that. I don't need God to help me. I can do this myself. And so how do we solve the problem? Divorce. We have, we have trouble with our children. We don't know how to relate to them. And so we began this process saying, God, I don't I don't need your direction here. I'm going to handle this myself. And so we tried to become our children's best friends, letting them do whatever they want. When God's called us to be parents, and God's called us to be leaders, we see people who are involved in lifestyles that are contrary to Scripture and so we say, God, we don't need you here. And so what do we do? We try to fix it ourselves. We begin to legalize behaviors that go against what Scripture says. How well has that worked out for us? Has just left us stained. It's left us in tatters spiritually and broken. Every, every Saturday evening, I, I pull out what I'm going to wear for church on Sunday morning. Because I like to just get up and put it on and leave. And... Uh, Inevitably, Emily checks out everything I put out first. As a matter of fact, what I'm wearing right now is not what I had out last night, and uh, there's a good reason for that, because I always have I always have stains on my shirts. And the, I, I it was the shirt I had I was going to wear it today. It had it had like brown marks all over the front. I have no idea what it is. And she's like, "Why would you pick that shirt?" I said, "I didn't even notice it." And so what she'll do is she'll see that and she'll uh, go in, if, it's the, if there's not too many stains, she'll go in and she'll grab the Tide Stick, the greatest invention for a guy ever. And she'll get that Tide Stick and she'll go in and she'll start rubbing it on that stain. And then with that, within a matter of, you know, I don't know if it's seconds or maybe a minute or something, the stain disappears. And I'm able, I'm able to wear the shirt. And it looks like, you know, man, that sucker is as clean as it's good. Because that Tide Stick was able to remove the stain. Now, my guess is that most of us have some serious stains in our lives. We have a lot of things in our lives that are ugly and corrupted. And we don't know how in the world to get rid of those things. Here's the good news. God can take the ashes in your life and he can refresh you. He can take the ashes of our nation. And cause us to rise up again. Now how do I know that? Let me share with you what scripture says. Isaiah 40, 30 and 31. It says, even youths grow tired and weary. And young men stumble and fall. <clears throat> but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They'll run, not grow weary. They'll walk and not be faint." Now let me tell you something, our nation, our families, they need healing. We have scars and we have stains that are in our lives. And we try to take them out ourselves and the only thing that we do is we end up rubbing them in and we put a little water on it, trying to get it out and it just simply spreads. Because there are problems that are in our lives that we cannot fix on our own. Only God can. Only God can. So, how, how do we get healing? It begins with God's people. Repentance is required for us. God's restoration is possible. Now, what I'd like for us to do is to, to close our eyes and to bow our heads. We're just going to close out with just a time where we just simply pray and we talk to God. It's the final thing we'll talk about today. There's no doubt we need healing, and some of you need healing right now as well. And I just want to challenge you to simply talk to God in prayer and confess your sinfulness to God. And sort of like that shiny object in your life where you just simply need to say, God, there's some things in my life that I'm just hanging on to that I know that are outside your guideline. And God, today I, I'm willing to let go of it. Because God, I know that if I don't let go of it, I will not have freedom but I'll be enslaved. Why don't you tell God right now there's some things in your life that you're going to let go of and then ask God to give you victory over that sin. Others of us have priorities that are out of whack. Maybe you put yourself and you put your wants and your desires ahead of what God wants from you. Today, why don't you commit to the Lord that you through His leadership are going to put His ways before your own. And I really believe that as we begin this process, as we can see homes and this community and this nation rise from the ashes, but it begins with us. Lord, I pray that you'll bless this time that we have. Jesus, I pray that that we will worship you by responding to your leadership. God, speak to our hearts, draw us near to you. In Christ's name I pray.